Dios es bueno. God is good. Amen. 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 So, you know, it's it's always an interesting thing transitioning from just a powerful moment of worship to just uh, the message and preaching God's word. So I thought I'd start with playing catch with somebody. So anybody want to play catch? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're not doing that right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I do want to tell you a story because I know you guys are super excited. But I do want to tell you a story real quick, and I'm going to use these as an illustration. So has anybody, maybe maybe you guys are here, have, has anybody played catch with like a toddler before? Anybody? Let me see some hands. Isn't it the worst? Isn't it the worst? I have a two-year-old cousin. He's like about this big. And he's two, and his name is Rafael. Okay, so I'm over here at my aunt's house, and, and I'm hanging out with Rafael and everybody. And, uh, and I saw some balls there, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to play catch with Rafael. I think that would be awesome. And so, uh, you know, he was standing just like right there somewhere, and I was over here, and I was like, all right. I'm going to roll the ball to him, and, and I'm just going to say, hey, you know, throw the ball. So, so I roll the ball to him, and he grabs it. And I was like, you know, as we do, and he goes like this. Anybody know the toddler stance of throwing the ball? And I was like, come on, Rafael, like, like, come on. And he's like, and I'm just encouraging him. And he just like, he goes, and he like throws it that way. And I was like, Rafael, I was like, I'm right here in front of you. I was like, why'd you throw it that way? And I was like, you know what? Practice. That was a practice. So I grabbed another one. And what I did is I had him stand in the same spot and I just walked towards him. Okay. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get a little bit closer. So again, Rafael, I gave him the ball, like roll it to him. And again, he goes, toddler stance, like ready to throw the ball. She's over here measuring up. But this time he kind of like stuck his tongue out. You know, he's like, just sticking his tongue. He's like, all right. He's measuring up. And then he goes, oh, I try to make it in there. But he missed. And I was like, Rafael, are you serious? And I was like, okay, dude, you know what? We're going to do something different. I grabbed him. I was like, okay, here. I said, I just, I just need you to give me like a anything, just anything. So I gave him the ball. Again little tongue, and he's like, focused, and I was like, Rafael, come on, man, just, just, you know, and then he goes, and I was like, are you serious? You just had to go, so it's kind of the worst, but I share that story with you because I think that we are like Rafael, okay, so think with me, we are like Rafael because like Rafael, Without Jesus, we don't really know what direction to throw. Without Jesus, we are aimless and we don't have a name. Without Jesus, we don't have a direction. We don't have a guide. We have no purpose. We don't even know what to do. And like Jesus, or like Rafael, we go, because we just have no idea what we're doing. And really, that whole thing is an example, really an excuse for me to look at us and to look at you and say, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. And without Jesus, we miss the mark. Without him, we don't know where to aim. Without him, like, it just, if you just think about it, it doesn't matter how, how close we think we get to God. Like, without Jesus, we just don't know where to throw. And so we are a lot like Raphael. And so as we think about that, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 3. Verse 16. 
John chapter 3, verse 16. And we're going to be in 16 all the way to 21. And as you turn there, you might be saying, okay, who's this guy on stage that just threw these basketballs? <laughs> well, my name is Misael Gonzalez, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, but you can call me Misai. So if you see me somewhere, you can go, what's up, Misai? And I'm like, what's up? And we'll have a great conversation. Uh, but if you've been with us for a little bit, or if this is your first time, we're actually in this series where we're trying to answer some really hard questions. And two weeks ago, uh, we had this question about the problem of evil, and we try to answer, like, why... Why do bad things happen to good people? And then if you think about that question in reverse, that's really my question of like, why do good things happen to bad people, you know? And so I spend most of my time at the Mission Church, which is our Tulsa campus. And what we did is we tried to identify what is evil and who is good. And then yesterday, not yesterday, uh, last Sunday, you guys tried to answer this question in a really good way of like, why should we give to the church? Why should we give to our church? And we got to hear from our senior pastor, Chris Wall, and our executive pastor, uh, Chad Balthrop. And it was just this amazing time of how they got to share with you the vision for our church, how we are going to be the people that really are stewards of everything that God has given us and that we have this commitment to be debt-free to where we can look at the next generation of believers, the next generation of our church and saying, man, we want to do something for you today that you can enjoy tomorrow. And so we, that was a really incredible time. And then today we're going to answer another hard question. And here's a question for you. I want you to write it down. Why do I need to be saved? Why do I need to be saved? And I want you to hear the tone of that question. You see, because if you've been a believer for some time and or a Christian at some time and, and you try to share the gospel with people and try to share with them the love of God and how they need to know God and how God wants to know them and, and how God wants them to enjoy his presence. And you've probably said the phrase, hey, you need to be saved you need to be saved, and you probably get this response. Why do I need to be saved? Like, why do I need to be saved? Like, saved from what? That's their question. Saved from what? I, I didn't know I was in danger. I didn't know someone was trying to hunt me down. I didn't know someone was waiting for me at my car or my house. I'm not in danger. What are you talking about? And in that moment, we're kind of like, well, I mean, technically, yeah, you are in danger. Yeah, maybe, maybe it's not physical danger in this moment, but you are in spiritual danger right now. Because whenever we share the gospel, we're not just, just sharing about the love of God and how God wants to know them and how, how God has made a way for them, but we share with them that there is a consequence for not following Jesus. There is a consequence for not putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And as we read this, we're going to see these consequences together of what it looks like in the outcome of not following Jesus. And so that's the question. Why do I need to be saved? And so if you're with me in John chapter 3, verses 16 to 21, let's go ahead and stand together and we'll read. So starting in verse 16, it says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, 
because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. This is the word of the Lord, and praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. So if you've been a Christian for some time, you, you probably know verse 16 really well and by heart and by memory. But I wanted us to read all the way to 21 because this entire passage is so clear to us that we cannot save ourselves and that we need a Savior, that there's nothing that we can do except receive the gift of God, this free gift. And we have to believe God's word and believe that what he is saying is true. And so when you look at verse 16, it's very clear that God gave his son. And then verse 17, you see why, why he gave his son. And then verses 18 to 21, you have this emphasis of the result, the results of those who are condemned and those who are not condemned, the results of believing in Jesus and not believing in Jesus. And, you know, there's pastors out there that when they, when they have the scripture, they can give you like two points or like a thousand points. Well, today I'm going to give you four, if that's okay. I'm going to give you four points. So here's the first point for us as we try to answer that question of why do I need to be saved? Well, here's the first thing. I need to be saved because I'm spiritually dead. I need to be saved because I'm spiritually dead. Whenever you read this, uh, you see these things that, that say like God gave his son and God sent his son to, to save it because he was dying, he was perishing. And you, know, you might be asking like, why? Like, why do you do that? Why are we dying? Why are we perishing? Why is that happening? Well, I want to remind you in the first chapters of Genesis with Adam and Eve and in the garden, I just want you just to picture yourself there because what happened is that Adam and Eve did something that we are really good at as humans. You know what we're really good at as humans? Taking advantage. We are so good at taking advantage of people and of other things. You see, God created us with love. God created us with freedom to love him and to be with him. And we took advantage of that freedom. We took advantage of that love. And we sinned against him. We disobeyed against him. We looked at God and said, God, you don't know what you're doing. God, I, I'm my own maker. I'm my own person. God, I know best. And so that one act of sin and disobedience against God corrupted everything and everyone. And you see, I've actually talked to friends about this and other people about this, and they go, and I can probably hear some of you say this right now, Misael, how is it possible? How is it possible that one act of sin poisoned and corrupted all of humanity? How is that even possible? Well, I want to give you just a little picture here. So imagine there's just a huge tank right here, okay? A huge tank. And this tank is filled with poisonous gas that'll kill you like this. So imagine someone comes up here and pokes a hole in that tank. What are you going to do? You're going to run. You're going to get out of here. You're going to go, hopefully not screaming, but, you know, you're going to get out of here and just run and be like, whoa, I'm not going to be in there. Why? Because you know that that one hole, all the gas is going to come out, and it's going to poison this place. It's going to corrupt this place. It's going to affect this entire place. 
And I would be sitting there going, hey, it's just one hole. But you see that one thing affects everything. And that's the same way when we look at Genesis. That's the same way when we look at Adam and Eve because that sin corrupted us and in such a way that we want to do everything to run away from God. We want to do everything to not follow him. We want to do everything to not even look at him. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit inside of us because the Holy Spirit inside of us helps us run to God and run to God and run to God, meaning that we need to be transformed from the inside out And that's actually something that Jesus was talking about within the context of this passage. Because yes, we're in 16 to 21, but if you look in verses 1 to 15, you actually have this moment where Jesus is talking to this guy named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is kind of like this Old Testament teacher guy who thinks he's really smart. And I'm I'm sure he was really smart. But he comes up to Jesus and he's he's like, Jesus, bro, like how, how can I get into the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus looks at him and he says, well, you have to be born again. And this really smart Old Testament teacher guy goes, woo, 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 woo. That's impossible. I can't go back to my mother's womb. And Jesus is like, dude, I'm talking about spiritually. You have to be born again spiritually. You have to be transformed from the inside out spiritually. And this is what we see here. And, and this kind of reminds me of the quote, and maybe you've heard it before. But the quote that says that Jesus didn't come to earth in order to make good people better. He came to earth to make dead people alive because we are dead in our sins. We are dead spiritually. And and Jesus came to spiritually resurrect us, to spiritually resurrect the world. It was this new covenant. And so we see that we are spiritually dead without Jesus and we need Jesus. And so that's the first thing, is that we are spiritually dead. But you know what's interesting about dead people? Dead people are poor. And so if we're spiritually dead, we are spiritually poor. And so why do I need to be saved? I need to be saved because I'm spiritually poor. I want you to look at verse 18 with me again. Verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And then verse 19 says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. It's really interesting how in these verses, you have this legal language or this language that makes you feel like you're in a courtroom. And you see, it says right here that we stand already condemned. Like we are in this courtroom and we already stand judged. And, and I just want you to think about this with me real quick. Whether Jesus came to earth or not, we were already condemned. We were already judged. We were already dead in our sins. We were already poor. And so you have Jesus saying there's these two groups, those who are already condemned, those who are condemned, and those who are not condemned. And you see, when I talk about this with people and we talk about the whole aspect of salvation with people, they look at me and, and they go, Misael, man, I hear what you're saying, but how how is it possible that God would send people to hell? He said, why? Why would God send people to hell? And that's where I remind them of what we actually just talked about in Genesis, about how God created everything good and God created us to, to be with him and to walk with him and to love him and to know him. But it was humanity that rejected God. It was humanity that, that separated themselves from God. It was humanity that looked at God and said, yeah, you don't know what you're talking about. 
yeah, you're the king of kings, but I want to be my own king. I want to be my own queen. I want to be my own authority. You see, it was humanity that, in a sense, gave God the stiff arm. And so, when we think about that, there are consequences to rejecting God. There are consequences to telling God, yeah, no. And so, the consequence of that is that humanity chooses to not be with God. Humanity sends themselves to judgment. But you see, that's when we look at Scripture like this and we say, but God provided a way. God provided a solution. God was the one saying, no, like, I want to be with you. No, I want you to walk with me. I no longer want the separation between us. And again, I want you to think about the context of Nicodemus and Jesus having this conversation. Because again, Nicodemus was this really smart Old Testament teacher guy. And he probably had Isaiah chapter 64, verses 6 and 7 on his mind. And it says this, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. And then Jesus, in such a physical way right here, is, is standing in front of Nicodemus and reminding him what John chapter 1, verses 17 and 18 say. And it says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. And so Jesus is standing right in front of him and in front of us and saying, I am hidden no more. I am hidden no more. Salvation has come. You were spiritually poor and you are spiritually poor and you, and you can't pay that debt, but I can. I've done that with my life and my sacrifice and my resurrection. And you see that aspect right there is really interesting for us because there's a lot of historians and scientists and atheists even who will say that they believe that Jesus was a real person, that Jesus truly lived and that he died and and that he rose from the grave. They're like, yeah, I mean, that's kind of a historical thing that, that people talked about and wrote down. But you see, that's just a historical fact. That's just history. That's historical. But here's the difference. When you truly believe that Jesus, the Son of God, came to earth and lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and rose from the grave for your sins and for my sins and for the sin of the world, and you truly understand that you are spiritually dead and spiritually poor, my friends, that's no longer historical. That's now transformational. That's now salvation. That's now this moment where the Holy Spirit comes inside of us because now we have said, Lord, I cannot save myself, but I need you to save me because we are so dependent on him. And so that's the third thing. The third thing is that we are spiritually dependent. So we are spiritually dead, we're spiritually poor, and we are spiritually dependent because we cannot save ourselves. I want you to look at verse 21 with me. Verse 21 says, But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. You see, we, we don't know the truth until we know Jesus. We don't know how to live in the light until we know Jesus. And we cannot save our own souls. 
And so we are spiritually dependent on him. And it's not just a one-time dependence, but we are spiritually dependent on him every single day. Because here's the reality. You can't pray enough to save yourself. You can't work enough to save yourself. You can't give enough to save yourself. You can't do all of these things or do all of these great works to save yourselves because you cannot outdo your sinful nature. Because you know what your sinful nature needs to do? It needs to die. Your sinful nature needs to die and Christ must live. The Holy Spirit must be in us. We must be new creations in him. And and when that happens, it's not just a one-time deal, but God continues to grow us, which is amazing. Like I hope one day when Rafael grows up that he doesn't throw like this anymore. Like I hope we can actually play some real catch one day. And in the same way, whenever we are in Christ and we know our direction and we know our aim and we know the mark and and we know the the general guide of our life, the general purpose of our life, man, we begin to grow in him. We begin to grow in knowledge and, and in love. And what's just so cool as I think about that, I think of a verse that a friend showed me just recently. And it's uh, 1 John 5.13. And I want you to write this down because this is a really important verse for us. 1 John 5.13. This verse says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I write all of these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. We can know that we know that we know that we have eternal life, that we have been transformed, that we have been saved. And what's so cool is that we also have this eternal life in Jesus. And so the last thing I just want to remind us of when it comes to this scripture is that I need to be saved because I'm spiritually permanent. Spiritually permanent. When we look at John 3.16 again, it says that we will not perish but have eternal life in him. And so if we have eternal life, there's this reality that there's life beyond the right now and that God wants us to live with him and enjoy his presence forever and that we can be saved for the glory of God, that we can accept this free gift of Jesus and And, you know, we've been celebrating baptism, like, all day today. And if I say the word fiesta, do you guys know what I mean? Let me see some hands if you know what fiesta means. Okay, for those of you who don't have your hands up, fiesta means party, party. And did you know that whenever one person puts their faith and trust in Jesus, whenever we celebrate baptisms, whenever someone is absolutely transformed by God, there is a fiesta in heaven, a fiesta They're saying, this person that has eternal life with me. And so what I want to do is the rest of our time, at my time anyway, I want to give it up to someone who will share their story and their testimony of what God did in their life. And so I want to go ahead and invite Chelsea up. And Chelsea is going to share with you um, how the Lord worked in her life and how she realized that she needed a Savior and that she needed salvation uh, in her life. And so I want to go ahead and, uh, Chelsea, you have the stage. Okay, good morning, church family. Uh, My name is Chelsea Bolin, and I am honored to be here today and just getting to share um, what Christ has done in my life. Um, Before I get into it, I just want to take a moment to say a lot of us struggle with um, honoring the story that Christ has done in our life because we think, well, it wasn't that radical of a transformation. I wasn't that bad of a person beforehand. And we look at these stories of people that had 
um, just monstrous sins in their lives and we think, wow, that person has a good story. I wanna challenge you that your story is just as good because it's God's work in you. And it's not about how our version of how great sin was, but all sin is offensive to God. And so at age five, um, I recognized that my sin was offensive to God. I had grown up in church. My parents brought me to church every time the doors were open, basically. Um, I grew up in Norman and I was able to watch my grandparents faithfully serve in church as well as my parents. And I watched on a day in and day out basis of just people in my direct community faithfully living out their faith. And at age five, I recognized that I was a sinner, that I had sin in my life and I could not have a relationship with Christ until I asked him for that forgiveness because I understood that he had died on the cross for my sins and that I needed that relationship with him and to be able to live forever with him. I didn't understand everything, but I would say that probably none of us in here know everything today. We're still learning and growing in our faith. So I went in my bedroom and I asked Jesus to be Lord and savior of my life. And I ran out of my room and told my parents and we began talking through what that meant and how that looked moving on. A few months later, um, the Lord reminded me and my family that just because we have Christ in our life, life isn't gonna be easy um, and good things don't always happen. Um, there's pain and there's suffering in our lives. And at um, about age five and a half, I got really sick. I had a fever that wouldn't go down. Um, my lymph nodes in my neck, which if you don't know what those are, you have these little bitty um, things in your neck and they're in other places on your body as well, um, but they're supposed to be really little. Well, mine swelled up to the point to where I could not turn my neck to the left or right. Um, it was stiff and stuck facing forward. Um, and I, my parents obviously took me to the doctor. They started running tests. My pediatrician sent me to the um, hospital. Uh, to Children's Hospital in Oklahoma City and said, it's either leukemia or it's a really bad virus and you need to go get additional testing done to find out what it is. So they took me immediately to the hospital. I spent Christmas in the hospital that year, which um, if any of you have a five-year-old at home, you know how big of a deal Christmas is to all of us, but especially a young child. Um, and I will never forget that Santa Claus came to the hospital to visit and I about ripped the IV out of my arm trying to get to the door uh, to meet Santa Claus. But um, we, as I went through all of that, I trusted that the Lord was in control. I knew at age five that Jesus had everything under control. That even though I was sick, I didn't feel good. I was in a hospital, I wasn't at home. I didn't get to be with my friends at school the way I wanted to be, that God still had it all under control. Um, a few months later, we finally got the um, diagnosis that I had acute lymphocytic leukemia and I started treatment. At that point, now they have um, a very structured regimen of treatments that children get when they have that diagnosis. But at that point, they were still doing a lot of test runs because um, this is 26 uh, years ago that they were really working through what is the best treatment for children that have this diagnosis. Um, so really you were put through different um, you were patient one, two, three, or four, and then it repeated. And that's the treatment rounds that you got. Well, because I got sick and it took four months for them to get the diagnosis, I was never assigned a number. And the doctors got to decide 
what they felt like was the best treatment for me, which was truly the Lord's hand on that situation because the path that they took for me was nearly identical to the one still used today to treat leukemia. So I went through two and a half years of treatment. Um, I had rounds of chemo. I lost my hair twice. I had lots of steroids, um, which made me eat a lot and have cravings. Um, and so I grew in size. Um, I also um, was trying to go through school. I mean, I, this was kin end of kindergarten through um, the beginning of third grade that I was really going through all of these treatments. Um, I had to go to the hospital regularly to have spinal taps and to have um, shots and to have my finger pricked and blood squeezed out way more than you think your finger can bleed. Um, just all the time, like that was my world. And I remember our pastor coming to meet with me and saying, Chelsea, what, like, what do you need? And saying, Jesus has this, it's okay. If I die, I'm gonna be in heaven with him. And if I live, he still has a plan for me. And that's wonderful. And I was in a situation where I saw death regularly. Every one of my roommates in those two and a half years passed away. Some of them had the exact same thing I did. Some of them were the very same age I was. All of them were in a similar age range. Um, and so I saw death. I had to grow up really fast. At school, I had kids make fun of me for having no hair because they didn't understand. It wasn't truly because they were mean but they didn't understand. So I went through those two and a half years and obviously I'm a survivor, I'm still standing here today. The Lord still had a plan for my life and I continued on in my walk and in my faith and as I got into those middle school years, um, which some of you in here are in those middle school years or you have children who are in those middle school years and middle school's hard. And I became ashamed of my story because when I said I'm a leukemia survivor, people looked at me different they thought I might be contagious because I had been sick, because they didn't understand. It wasn't for lack of um, true kindness. It was truly lack of understanding, but that hurt. And so I hid it. I didn't wanna tell anyone my story. Um, and at Falls Creek one year, I believe I was in seventh grade, I went and the Lord really started convicting me of the fact that he gave me my story. And my story was not about me, it was about him and that I needed to be willing to share my story, even if that was hard, even if people looked at me different because it's, the, it's God's work in me and he was gonna use it and he wanted to use my story. So over the next year, God really started working on my heart and softening my heart to being willing to share um, and willing to tell people about what God had done in my life. In um, the summer after eighth grade, I went back to Falls Creek and the Lord once again convicted me and said, Chelsea, I want you to be willing to give me your life fully to the point that whatever I say, you need to do with the rest of your life that you'll do it. You're already following me, but I need that full commitment of when I say, do this as a career that you follow it. And I said, okay, God, I'm yours. So I go through high school, I have opportunities to uh, begin sharing my story in high school um, through fundraisers and getting to stand in front of my peers and tell that story um, about just my surviving um, and that other children don't have that, they didn't get to survive. Um, and so raising money to 
learn more and to have research on that. And so God continued to be faithful and give those opportunities. And when I was 16, I went to a camp called Camp Barnabas, which is a camp for individuals with disabilities. And I went um, as a volunteer to just serve. Lots of kids went as volunteers to serve. Lots of teenagers. And so I went to serve and worked with an individual with Down syndrome for the whole week. We got to be side by side and make her week incredible. The whole week, adults in my life that at the camp kept saying, so Chelsea, you gonna be a special ed teacher when you grow up? None of them having talked to each other, just coming to me randomly and asking me that question. And I would look at them like, why? Why are you asking me that question? You're not asking any of these other kids. Why me? Why are you asking me that question? And by the end of the week, after being asked, I can't even tell you the number of times by different adults that I just happened to run into that would ask me that question, I said, okay, God, I get it. This is that red flashing sign. I get it. And no, I don't want to do that. Thanks, but no thanks. And so the Lord, once again, really convicted my heart and said, no, you said you would follow me. You said you would trust me. With, your, with my plans for your life. And so I started researching, okay, where do I go to school to get a degree in special education and what does that look like? So I went to OU, I got my degree in special education, I began my teaching career, my husband and I met in college um, and we got married right after I graduated. We, um, it's so neat to see how the Lord continues to mold and shape our lives and that he is faithful through good and bad. We've had our ups and downs through um, marriage, just as we all do, um, through life. And yet we have a faithful Lord who gets to walk beside us and hold us through the ups and the downs, no matter our situations, that he is always faithful. Um, he was faithful when we had a miscarriage. He was faithful when our children were born. He was faithful when we um, uprooted our family and moved up here. And he blessed us immensely with a new church family uh, when we didn't know we could really have it any better than what we had before. And so God is good no matter the circumstances. He is faithful and he um, is just really wonderful to use our stories and to speak through our lives. Um, so yeah, that's my story. Chelsea's story uh, just reminds me of how uh, we're not born into the church uh, to be saved. We have to be born again to be saved. And uh, I'm just grateful for her story because I had a friend um, when I was in elementary who was seven who actually died uh, from the same cancer. And so that's just really cool to hear that. Uh, so let's go ahead and stand together. And I'm going to pray for us and we'll continue in our time. <clears throat> Lord, in this moment, I come before you so thankful that we've been able to look at your word and, and hear stories of transformation and your faithfulness and how we've been able to taste and see that you are good and celebrate that sacrifice that you made for us and remember that. God, thank you for the baptisms today of how that's just a huge fiesta in heaven. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move and work in this moment, that if there's anyone here who is questioning their salvation or anyone who just knows that they are separate from you and separated from you, Lord, because of their sin, 
Lord, I pray that you would move in their hearts and in their minds. God, I pray that people in here would know that they know that they know that they have eternal life with you. And that if they don't, that today would be the day for that. God, I pray that today would be the day that they recognize and know that they are spiritually dead and spiritually poor, that they are spiritually dependent on you. God, I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.